Hello. We're in the house of the Lord. We can be excited. Wherever you are right now watching around the world, I expect, I expect an exciting chant for the Lord. Savagery. Okay. Yes, we're thankful. Wherever you are right now, we've been in our series, How to Win Within. And what we've been walking through is how we aren't defined by our past mistakes. We aren't defined by our broken resolutions, our broken relationships, our broken finances, our broken toes, our broken ankles, our high ankle sprains, uh, whatever that is, we're not, we're not defined by that, but instead we are closed in Christ and we are defined by who he says we are. And how that is lived out for us is where our heart is postured to, okay? And where our heart is postured to, what we mean by that is what is the treasure of our heart? What is the thing that we seek above all else? And what we've been walking through in this series is that lives out in our life with our time, our talent, in our treasure. So as we go forward today, I just want to say uh, we've had some challenges. Last week was challenging. We talked about forgiveness. That was a challenge so many times in our life when we say forgiveness and extending forgiveness for everyone. And I'm just going to start out by saying, hang in here with me to the end. Uh, last week will be a breeze compared to what we talked to today. It's going to be good times. So if you're challenged, it ain't me. Uh, and and if, if you're challenged, it's the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit always challenges me and, and wrecks me at times. So I hope and pray today that we would have open hearts for that. So as we get ready, we're going to start in our anchor verse where we've been all the way through throughout this series. And it's found in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 8 and 9. And this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. And he says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Let's be honest. We've all been there. We ate some bad sushi. We went to Moe's and Starbucks, had to run there. You're like, we've been there. We've all been there. We've prayed for three times, Lord, take this pain away from me. So Paul says, I prayed for it three times. But he said, this is the Lord. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so Christ's power may rest on me. So as we've walked throughout this series, what Paul is saying is it's opposite of the world. See, we celebrate strength. We celebrate the mountaintop. We celebrate everyone who's got it figured out. As a matter of fact, if you don't believe that, that is what social media is built on, right? Like uh, I, I went from zero to $700 billion overnight. And let me tell you how I did it. I robbed every bank in the world. And we're just like, yeah, can I get a piece of that? Like, how do I get in on that? We celebrate success. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. In the kingdom economy, in the economy of Christ, it's actually about our weakness. Now, we don't know what Paul's weakness is every time if you're just new to hanging out with us or you're new to church or you're just kicking the tires of who Jesus is. Many speculate about what Paul's thorn in his flesh was. Maybe it was, it was the finances. Maybe it was relationship. Maybe, honestly, I think, quite honestly, and, and I could be wrong. This is not me speculating, but it is me speculating. I think Paul struggled with his past a lot. Paul struggled about what he did when he was Saul. Like, when you murder people, you tend to have some regrets. And yet God went and worked through his weakness. And so maybe that's where you are. And so today, I want to start out with a little game. Are you ready? We played this when we were growing up. You, you, I know you loved it. It's called Simon Says. You remember? Simon Says Clap, right? Simon Says Smile. Simon Says High Five Your Neighbor. Slap Your Neighbor. Everybody got slapped in the house of the Lord. I'm just kidding. It's bad, right? Simon says. So as we walk through today, let me ask you something. We did that when we were little all the time, right? Why do we do that when we were little? Parents, you may not realize why you did it, but why, did we, why do we do that with little ones? What do we do? We're teaching them authority. And they willingly did it, didn't they? We willingly did it. See, authority is what we're going to be diving into today, authority. What is the authority of our heart? What are we walking through? See, authority is okay, but if you've ever had a little one, by the time they start crawling, they are bucking authority. Actually, really before that, but they really get to live it out when they start walking. Because them little boogers can fly. You can say what you want to. It's crazy how those little legs just go like that and you just see them. You can't keep up with them. How does it make sense? Like, what is that? You have a longer stride than they do, but you look a parent... You know, it's just like, what in the world happened? Like the kids just, they're gone. They know. Authority. But why do we have fun with Simon Says, but yet when it comes to the authority of the Lord in our life, we struggle with it? Why? Because when we surrender our authority, the point of obedience has an end game. 
When we surrender authority of our life to the Lord, there is something that we get through obedience for. There is something that happens. We willingly do that. And so today, wherever you are, it was a Holy Spirit thing, uh, whether Alex realized it or not, as, we shared this, as he shared this in the prayer time, uh, is today, wherever you are, when it comes to authority, we're going to kind of be at the front of the airport here in the, word, uh, in the house of the Lord today. I need you to check your bags. Baggage claim, all right? I need you to check your bags. Any, any preconceptions, any good or bad about authority, let's just lay it down to the Lord right now. Let's check our bags right here and let Jesus do what only he can do through it. Because when it comes to authority, I don't care who you are. You can act like you're fine with it. You can say you're a rule follower. But in the end, all of us buck authority. We push back against authority. It is our human sinful nature. It is who we are. It is what sin has done to us. So today, wherever you are, when it comes to authority, I want us to have this mindset. So over these past few weeks, uh, we've been hanging out in Romans 12 as we've learned through uh, what Paul is teaching the church and the posture of their heart in Romans. So today, we're actually going to come today a little bit different than how we normally do. We're going to read all of the scripture first. If you grew up in a traditional church, you're like, yeah, that's it. This stopping and starting gets on my nerves. If you like stopping and starting, it's a good time, but we're going to read all the text. Because we've got to take it all in. We're going to pause, catch our breath for a moment as we talk about authority. Because I will promise you today, as challenging as last week was, there's going to be a fire in your belly today. And I'm not talking about the, mo- the coffee you drank at breakfast. I'm talking like real fire in your belly today. Because here's the thing I want us to have before we get into the Word of God. If it's in the Word of God, it's important, right? Can we agree to that? And we believe that the word of God is the authority of the Lord. It is, it is the infallible word of God, even written through fallible men, right? Like, it is the inerrant word of God. It has authority over our lives. So I'm, I'm preaching to myself, y'all. I'm going to tell you right now as I get ready for this. So we've been in Romans 12. Guess where we're going to be today? Romans 13. So if you've got your Bible today, go ahead and get to Romans 13. Uh, as you get there and you're in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and Romans. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one free for the asking each and every week. I know we say it, but it is available in the garden. But hey, maybe you're listening or watching throughout the week. If you're watching wherever you are around the world throughout the week, our Vine Production team, make sure that you can see the scripture on the screen. Wherever you're watching, somewhere in this area, one day Zach's going to switch it up and it's going to be over here and I'm going to hide behind it and then I'm going to come out front. It's going to be great. The scripture of the Lord is going to be on the screen, but wherever you're listening around the world or watching, maybe you'd like to follow us digitally, you can do that in our free Vine Church app today and when you download that, it's our connection hub where you can find out all about the Vine, but most importantly, you can connect to the Lord, see all of the messages past and previous but there's a bible in there a place for you to take notes so if you're with me give me an amen all right amen all right so dear lord let us go get this today as we go so romans 13 verse 1 through 5 here we go uh could we uh uh, uh, uh campus safety could we lock the people in today i promise you it's not an offer they're about to run to the exits here it goes uh, here we go let everyone be subject to governing authorities For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities exist, have been established by God. Man, don't you just wish that was stuck with the Dead Sea Scrolls not found yet? Just keep going. Here we go. Here we go. I said I wasn't going to stop, so here we go. Consequently, whoever rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right. But for those who do wrong, do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right, and you will be commended. For the one in authority is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for rulers do not bear the sword for no reason. They are God's servant, agents of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also as a matter of conscience. All right, deep breath on that one. All right, highlight, circle. We're going to come back to it later. That last word of verse 5, conscience. It's very important. We're going to come back to that. And here at the Vine, you, you'll hear me. If you see my Bible, I've got highlights and written everywhere. you got the freedom to write in the Word of God. But 1 through 5, nobody left yet. Praise Jesus. Here we go. This is where everybody's going to go for the exits. Let's get to verse 6 through 8. Here we go. If you've already looked at it, you're ready. Here we go, verse 6. This is why you pay taxes. 
That's it. Might as well just. <laughs> this is why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servant who give their full time to governing. Whew. Lord, come over us right now. <laughs> give to everyone you that uh, give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. Couldn't this be lost, Lord? <clears throat> if you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. White lightning. You know what I'm saying? T-men, G-men, the revenuers too. Man, I'm old. Anyway, pay taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. All right, deep breath, everybody. We got through it. It's in the word of God. It's authority of God. You said, well, if you're going to read a 13 from Paul, couldn't you do 1 Corinthians 13? Like, can we talk? Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. Well, that's the next series probably coming up, but I'm just going to be honest with you. We use that at weddings all the time. It's actually built off, off Romans 13, and Paul is talking about that love is actually the love we're supposed to have for our neighbor because that is the love that God has for us. And Jesus says that there are two things that fulfill the law, right? Love God and love others right right that's what that is anyway we want to open that so we're in romans 30 this is a tough text like we don't want to read this here in america like ugh, like what do you mean like didn't we do something didn't we put some tea in a harbor somewhere wasn't there a stamp act that we went against like didn't we have no taxation without representation like what do you mean i'm supposed to pay taxes so here we go let's dive into what paul has for us first and foremost today church wherever you are paul is operating under this assumption for us, okay? The assumption is that we understand that the gospel is supreme because Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords. So Jesus is over it all. Jesus is King. He has conquered death, the grave, everything in this world. It is it, Jesus. He is supreme. Better than Diana Ross in the supreme. He is supreme. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. So when we talk about governments and kings and prime ministers and presidents and, and governors and this and that, those are lesser lords. Yet, because of how we follow the King of kings and Lord of lords, we submit our authority to them. Now, this is tough for us to swallow. The historical context of where Paul is, if you just want to understand the historical context, is Rome is an autocracy, which, long story short, where we get with that is uh, Rome is an autocracy. Caesar has the final word. Everything else is, a, is like a figurehead. So Caesar would be there in Rome, and then there would be a governor, think Pontius Pilate. It's kind of over the area. He carries out the law a little bit. And whenever Rome would conquer a people, if they had a king, and the king could keep order, the king would be a figurehead to keep order, but in the end, Rome was over it all. Like, in the end, Caesar was over all of Rome, okay? So that's how Rome tried to keep peace, all right? So when you understand what Paul is talking to, Christians are going through persecution at this moment in time. We'll unpack that a little bit more later. And he's saying to all of them, still submit to the governing authorities. So let's go back all the way to the beginning and understand kind of what's going on, and I'm going to tell you today, even though you might have some heartburn about where Romans 13 is, you're going to see that the playbook that Satan uses is no different today than it was from the beginning. So first and foremost, realistically, if you're taking notes, we have to understand that God established three institutions on earth. There are three institutions that God established. The first institution he established was the family in Genesis 2. This is where we go back to that marriage ceremony, and we talk about that in our relationship series in the coming weeks, uh, where it's bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. That is who Adam and Eve are. God institutes the family. After that, in Genesis 9, after the flood with Noah, God actually institutes government. If you ever read Genesis 9, go to Genesis 9, 6, We'll talk more about it later, but it says if anyone uh, is to shed human blood, their blood will also be shed by humans because all is made in the image of God. We are all made in the image of God. So he institutes government, the power of the sword there in verse 4, God institutes. And last but not least, on earth, God institutes the church in Acts 2. So God institutes the family in Genesis 2, government in Genesis 9, and the church in Acts 2. All right? What's the first institution Satan tried to separate? The family of God. 
And God loved us enough. He said, I don't want you separated from my family, so I'm going to send my son to do for you what you can't do for yourself. And Jesus did that for us, paid the price for us, made a way for us to be back with the family of God. Satan divides that. Also, hey, government, if you think government isn't divided, you're crazy. Government is divided. Satan uses that to divide us and put us in camps. So the government of God is messed up. Believe it or not, if you hung out with us a couple of Thursdays ago, we actually went through this a little more in depth, but long story short, I encourage you to go check that out. What it is, is there is really no separation of church and state in God's economy because it is all God's because he is sovereign over it all. And as Christians, how we set ourselves apart is because of that. Tough thing to swallow where we are. Now, the third thing is the church, and trust me, the church is divided, right? Well, you didn't vote this way, you don't believe that, and you don't say that, you don't do that. If you don't think the church isn't divided, that's what Satan will do. He will try to divide the church and say, well, 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 y'all put people under, all the way under for baptism. Y'all ain't going to heaven. Y'all don't sprinkle tinkle them. Y'all don't do that. Y'all don't. No, we fire hose them, baby. We just open it up and go. It is the Lord overwhelming us. Get what you got to do, Right? We divided. So Satan uses that. This Satan's playbook. It's always been that way. So when we read this, this heartburn that we have is because of Satan's division. And I'm just going to put my cards on the table. Before we get to the end, the world is full of division, but there's only one thing that unites, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is Christ and Christ alone. He unites us back to a right relationship with God and creates us to be his family and lets us be the family that he created us to be. Excuse me. He unites us in government, the power of the sword. That means that God is the righteous judge and will make all things right. Every tear will be wiped away. That is only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we get to experience that in creator God. So government. And third is the church, the beautiful bride of Christ. We ain't perfect right now. We are fallen, but yet he is perfecting us and making us in his image, united with him. Everything else will divide, okay? So if you're with me here, just hang in there. This is where we are. If you're with me, this is where we are. So understand, this is everything that Paul is writing about. This is what he thinks the, re the reader understands. So the power of the sword, give you a little bit of history really quick. Uh, it's only an eight-hour sermon. You're fine. Just hang in all the way to the end. Uh, Genesis 9-6. So when you say, well, what do you mean God instituted government? Well, government actually is there uh, to extend capital punishment, Okay. Now, I'm not an attorney, I'm not a lawyer, but what Paul has set out here in Genesis 9-6, so don't take this as legal advice, uh, in Genesis 9-6, is he is separating something uh, that the Lord had established with Noah. Remember Noah? Builds the yarky, yarky, right? He goes, and there's a floody, floody, and the water's receding, uh, whatever that is. The, you remember those. Uh, all the way through, Noah builds the ark, the floodwaters recede, and God makes this, he has this covenant. Remember, he destroys all of the earth except what is on the ark. He makes this covenant with Noah in Genesis 9, 6. And he goes and he lays it out in the promised land in Numbers 35. He sets up government and what it means by having the power of the sword by setting two things there when it comes to man and what we have the power of the sword to carry out. What that means is carry out God's wrath, which is capital punishment. God's wrath is death for our sin. If you're with me, just give some nods. I see some nods. Okay. So he sets up two things. We have this thing called murder and manslaughter. Okay, murder means uh, you had the motive, you had the opportunity, and you knew before you walked into the situation, if you had a chance to kill that person, you would. Wasn't a question, wasn't an accident, it was, I'm going to kill them. Not like, not, parents, I'm not saying what you say about your teenagers, like, I'm going to kill them, I got it. No, 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 like, really, 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 you're going to kill them, all right? That's murder. Numbers 35 lays out, if you kill a person by iron, you will be killed by iron. If you kill them by stone, you will be killed by stone. In other words, capital punishment First-degree murder, I think, whatever that looks like for our attorney. So murder. Second degree is manslaughter. And what God instituted, oh, you're going to see Satan get up in here. If you with me, you ready? Are you ready? You're going to see how Satan twists the words of God. Second-degree murder is manslaughter. We have voluntary, involuntary, all that crazy good stuff and how that plays out. But second-degree murder, what God established in the promised land is that there would be these things called sanctuary cities or cities of refuge. What's dominating the news, right? Cities of refuge. And what that means is he gave that as an inheritance to the Levites, the pastors, the preachers, those who are leading the people of God into the presence of God. Because what happened in those sanctuary cities is if you accidentally killed someone, you would flee to the sanctuary city or the city of refuge. And as long as you were there, you were safe. 
And if you don't know what I'm talking about with church, you saw the hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, knocking on their sanctuary, sanctuary, you know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. So sanctuary. But here's the thing when it came to manslaughter. If you stepped outside of the city of refuge, the person's family that you killed have a right to avenge their blood and kill you. Ooh, tough stuff, right? So this is the establishment of government. So I, I'm telling you all this to say, this is the establishment of government. That's why when you confess with your pastor, there are certain things that there, it, it, it's privileged. I don't kind of how our law works out is a little different, but long story short, it's why your pastor's not passing judgment on you when you come to confess a sin. It's supposed to be, okay, let's pray through this, let's walk through this. It goes all the way back to the cities of refuge. So you with me, give me an amen, we're good. We've established government, so we're getting there. And the government carries out, carries out this capital punishment. So Numbers 35 lays all of that out. So here's the question I have for us. If, will we say we live in a fallen world? Without Christ, are we fallen people? So why do we think the government is perfect in our Savior? <laughs> That's hard, because we're just like, I mean, yeah, you know they're messed up. Like, trust me, you go online, you can see they're messed up. Everything's messed up. But here's the thing that I want to give you courage for. We're in Romans 13, but if you think the government that has fallen, that God is not just, that he will not have his wrath fall on those who have put in leadership and have abused their power, read Revelation 13. Read about the beast. When Paul is writing about Rome right here, he's talking about the beast. He's talking about Babylon. If you go there and see that, read in Revelation 13. That's a little bit of homework this week. It's a different 13. So think about this. We've got a lot of 13s today. What is that? Triskaidekaphobia. What's the name of that one if you're scared of the number 13? You're not happy today because I've given you Romans 13, 1 Corinthians 13, Revelation 13, a lot of 13s. Here you go. So if that's you today, if that's you today, read that and see what God will do to the beast. Why am I sharing all that? Why are we even digging into this today? Because this, this is a tough thing to dig into. What if, just what if, what if God uses the worst people, the worst leaders, the most tyrannical people to reveal his power and his will? See, we don't think that. We say, I didn't elect him. Ah, he foosballs the devil. Well, this one's the devil. That one's the devil. This leader's the devil. That one's the Antichrist. That was a, Listen, people have been saying that the leaders of governments have been the Antichrist for a long time. Like, you think that's new? That ain't new. Your grandma ain't the first one to say it, and your mama ain't. Like, seriously, they've been saying that for a while, but what if Jesus uses the worst people, the worst leaders, to reveal his power? As we talked about persecution the other week. See, we don't think that that's... What did the Old Testament happen? Remember when Moses goes to Pharaoh, what did God say to Moses? He said, I have hardened Pharaoh's heart to you and my people. Why? So they could be set free. We don't like to think that though, do we? Like what? What? So this guy, oh, Babylonian captivity. We've talked about this all the way through. Some cra crazy awesome. We, we've shared through this. So Babylonian captivity, believe it or not, in Babylonian captivity, remember, we've gone through the book of Esther. We've talked through Daniel. We've seen Nehemiah go back. But believe it or not, the book of Ezra, if you read in Ezra, uh, let's, let me go back because I said in our Bible Devo I would forget this. So I, Holy Spirit, thank you. In Isaiah 44, 28, Isaiah prophesies inside of Babylonian captivity when the nation of Israel goes into Babylonian captivity because they wouldn't repent of their sin, okay? Isaiah says there's going to be a leader, Cyrus, that sets you free over 100 years before it happens. The book of Ezra, Cyrus is the leader. After the 70 years of captivity, God's promise being fulfilled, brings them back to the promised land and says you can build the temple. Now, what did God say to his people to do while they were in captivity? To marry grow their family, and pray for the success of their leaders because if the leaders are successful, the nation of Israel would be successful. So Cyrus frees them, but it doesn't stop there. What happens is after Cyrus frees them, if you read deeper in Ezra, I think it's like Ezra 6, uh, what happens is this king named Darius comes along, and Darius actually, a pagan king, God moves to pay for the temple to be rebuilt. So the people that enslaved the people of Israel are the same ones that set them free and pay for the temple of the Lord to be built. The worst, yet God worked through it. Yet so many times we don't think that. So now let's get to the historical context. One more thing as we're laying the groundwork. The guy that, that Paul is talking about when he is writing this, there's an emperor in Rome, and his name is Nero. 
It's not just how we burned CDs back in the day. If you know, you know. It is what it is. It is what it is, right? Come on, Napster bad, LimeWire, we're ready to go. Whatever. So let me tell you about this dude named Nero. Maybe you've never studied Nero. Nero was straight up crazy. Let me tell you about Nero. Nero slept with his mother and then killed her. Yeah. My God. Didn't know you were getting that in church today, did you? He slept with his mother and killed her. He had a penchant for gambling. Let me tell you about Nero. He loved gambling. He loved horse racing. We're about to have the Kentucky Derby not too long from here, right? He loved horse racing so much, he wanted to see horses and chariots race whenever he wanted to. And sometimes that required it to be at night. So in order to have night, what do you got to have at night? Do you see the race? Some light. So you know how he lit the racetrack? He hung Christians on a cross and burned them. And that was his light. So Paul is telling the Roman church this. So much so Nero, believe it or not, was so crazy and so out of it, we think our leaders are, he thought that he could sing to the enemies, to his enemies, and it would give them peace. Remember, David would play the lyre for King Saul in this crazy spirit. So he would do that so much so that when he was 30 and he was about to be deposed, he went and killed himself when he was going into exile, Nero. Now, you may have heard about Nero, like I said, outside of the CD being burned. Most of the time when you hear about Nero, you hear that they played the violin as Rome burned. He did that. Crazy dude. So, context. Nero is the emperor persecuting Christians, and Paul says, hey, submit to that guy. The same Nero that kills Paul. <laughs> how do you think the church felt? We think, like, how do you think they felt? I'd be like, Paul, was you on that wine that you drank for the, you said have a little wine for the stomach. Did you have a little too much wine when you wrote this? Like, just want to make sure he's writing that. But through Nero, the church exploded. So much so that 270 years later, Constantine declares that Jesus is who he says he is and the entire Roman Empire is Christian. God worked through the worst leaders to reveal himself and his power. And yet so many times we struggle with this. So the question that we really have to answer today when it comes to this, and it comes to the taxes, and it comes to the submit, surrendering to the authorities, is where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line? Like, that's so important. Where do we draw the line? Where is where's the line drawn where we say, okay, like, this is it. This is where we take a stand. And it goes to what I told you to highlight in verse 5, our conscience. What do I mean by that? See, conscience is this. Conscience says we are obedient to the governing authorities, but there is a limit to that obedience. Now, I'm not telling you, I, I'm, I'm probably going to I'm probably gonna shock you a little bit today. I'm going to be very polit politician, but I just want to lay this out there. If you really want to know where to draw the line, the Holy Spirit will tell you. I can't. I have to give an account for myself before the Lord, and you will too. I can't draw that line for you. The Holy Spirit will tell you. And what does that mean by that? Well, We'll get to it in a minute, to be honest with you, but I will have to give an account for my life before the Lord and what the Holy Spirit told me to do and whether I said yes or no to it. That's it. And y'all will get to a laugh at all the crazy stuff. Like, I think the highlight reel, we're all going to, I think that's what eternity is going to be, where we've got to, we're going to get to be in the presence of the Lord, but so many times, I hope the Lord has my laugh tape on there because it's going to be long and y'all going to laugh a lot and I can't wait. It's fine. It's fine. Because what I'll do is I'll make sure you're somewhere near the latrine, and I hope my stomach issues are there, and you just smell it all the way for eternity. Anyway, wherever you are, what that looks like, really what that looks like is our conscience. What is our conscience? Our conscience says that we obey the government and the governing authorities, as Paul said, but there is a limit to that. And this is the verse pastors will use and abuse when they tell you this, and by my tone right now, you know where I'm going. Acts 5.29. If you don't know the context of this, really quick. Uh, Jesus has already ascended to heaven. The Holy Spirit has fallen. Peter and the apostles are preaching Jesus in the temple. All right? The Sadducees are upset really quick. Another historical note. I don't want to overwhelm you with information, but I hope that you get what I'm going from. So the Sadducees are a political party uh, in, in, in Jerusalem. All right? The Pharisees are there. They are the religious elite. Now, the difference between the Pharisees and the Sadducees is the Pharisees believe that there is a resurrection of the dead at the second coming. The Sadducees don't. So if you ever get confused on Easter, I always joke about it, but it is the truth. When it comes to resurrection, see, the Sadducees don't believe you get to be raised again, and that's why they're sad, you see. So if you ever have to know the difference between the two, that's how you'll be reminded. But realistically, the Sadducees are a political party, and they're upset. They're upset because... The Christians are saying obey Rome. 
But that's my, that's, my, that's my pack. That's my political party. That's my fundraising camp. They're mad. Like, who is this Jesus? And so they get upset, and they bring Peter uh, and all the apostles in front of the Sanhedrin, which is everyone. It's like the council. It is like everybody in front of them. And they say, these dudes are preaching Jesus. It is blasphemy. They should be stoned, and they should be killed. And the Sanhedrin's ready to do it. If you ever read Acts 5 before we get to this, this guy named Gamaliel comes up after this, and he says, hey, just let it go. He convinces the Sanhedrin, put the apostles aside. This Jesus movement will die out with them. <laughs> How wrong they were, right? It's still going today. So what happens is in their, uh, in their grace, the Sanhedrin says, we won't kill you, but we'll flog you. And the apostles go rejoicing the Lord because remember what Jesus said is we will experience persecution as Christians. And in this world there will be trouble, but take heart, Christ has overcome the world. So now you know where Acts 5 comes from. This, this to me is kind of like the fire alarm. We don't break it unless we have to. And this is where I'm telling you, and the Holy Spirit will guide us. This verse gets abused a lot and misused, but this is what Peter said before they were flogged to the Sanhedrin. Peter and the other apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Yet, we still walk in submission. Look, look, look what happened. Like, this is that line, the conscience. And this is where I told you, I'm going to be a politician. I can't tell you. I can't tell you. I, I, can't tell, I can't tell you which way to vote on something because in the end, I just want to know if you're voting that Jesus is Lord and Savior or not. That, that's all my concern is, because I care more about that than who you voted for in the last election, than where you stand on this proposition, whatever that is. And so this verse gets used a lot when it comes to this. And you say, well, okay, so this is it. So then what are you telling me, Tyler? Because it's, Paul said, surrender to the authorities, even though the people knew they were probably gonna be burned at the stake. Peter says, fight back, rebel. So who better to go to? In the words of Jesus. So let's go to Matthew 22, verse 19 through 21. And this is where the Holy Spirit will show you what you need to do. And we'll finish unpacking this and we'll go about and live out being who Jesus called us to be. This is what Jesus says. The Pharisees are asking and the religious leaders are asking Jesus if they should pay taxes to Caesar. Because they already pay taxes, which is their tithe, which is a flat tax in the church, believe it or not, at the time, and a temple tax. Verse 19, Jesus asked this. He says, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They brought him a denarius. And he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then he said to them, so give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God. Scoop, scoop, scoop. Boo. And the crowd goes and says, boo. What? Boo hiss. Like, what do you mean? So I have to pay taxes? Yes, yes, you pay taxes, but taxation is theft. I agree, yet at the same time, Jesus says we are to give Caesar what is Caesar and God what is God's. This is the thing I want us to think about when it comes to Jesus' words, and I say the Holy Spirit will guide us, and I believe the Holy Spirit will guide us here. Do you know how big of a disappointment Jesus was to the religious elite? That... They, they wanted Jesus to go to the marble of the Senate to flip tables. But where did he flip tables? In the church, in the temple. See, Jesus didn't come for this political power and to overthrow governments. He came for dead religion that led to no relationship. He said, you're trying to serve this Lord, this political party, this leader, this stance, and you're missing out. You're trying to fulfill all these laws. So what, Pharisees? You tie the tenth of your spices. We've talked about this too. So what? You try to, Pharisee, and there's woes to the Pharisees. He said, you try to squeeze out a gnat, but you swallow a camel. That's Thanksgiving, y'all. Y'all yeah, didn't pray before you eat, but you ate 8,000 calories at lunch. I don't think that's being Jesus. Like, let's be honest here. Like, let's, be, let's, let, let's look the right way. So this is what Jesus is saying. You got to understand he was a disappointment to them. We, we talk about uh, Palm Sunday, and he comes, and the people are so excited. The Messiah is here. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they expect him to go right to Pilate's palace and overthrow him, and instead Jesus goes left to the temple. That's why they screamed crucify him a week later. 
disappointment. What do you mean? You're supposed to overthrow. You're supposed to be the savior of my power. But Jesus said, it ain't my power. It ain't your power I'm trying to save. It's your life. See, church, that's what we get to share. It's the thing that is life. And so the the thing that I want us to understand when it comes to this is, is all the way through, Jesus is saying in this text, if he is Lord of lords and he is king of kings, why do we spend all of our time on these lesser lords of taxes, of government, of, of who is the leader and who isn't. Because here's the thing I want to tell you. I'm just going to tell you my conviction when it comes to this. So this isn't the word of God. I don't care who the president is. I'm praying for them. Because their success determines my success and your success. We pray for them. We pray for our leaders. Because the, corrupt, the most corrupt leaders, God can still work through, can he? We pray for them. How hard is that? Very hard. Because I'm going to tell you, everything in me doesn't want to do that. If there's ever a bullhorn moment, that's it. You want to see them as they walk out of, like, Congress, like, hey, where's my money? You keep stealing my taxes. Like, you want to do all of that, right? But no, 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 no. Jesus says, no, 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 don't, don't waste your time on that. Just do what I've called you to do. As we talked about last week, here in America, when we talk about persecution, we're just seeing a little bit of the signs for it. Like, I would say that the Lord has blessed us, and I just want to be honest here. We are on the greatest country on the face of the earth, perhaps in all of time outside of the promised land. We literally get to do that. We don't have to worry about walking out there and our head getting chopped off because we say Jesus is Lord. But we have to do something with that. God has given us that to steward. We have to, we have to come on now, taking it to the street. Like, we got to go out to the streets with it. It don't stop here. So when I say my conviction, I don't want you to hear my conviction. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit conviction. Love God, love others. How do we live that out? We pay our taxes. How do we live that out? If we owe somebody money, we pay them. We do that. That's how we're called to live that out as Christians. Doesn't mean that we don't forgive debts. Absolutely, we forgive debts. Doesn't mean that sometimes we don't mess up on our taxes. Absolutely, we mess up on our taxes all the time. Trust me, I think that's the point of it. I think that there are some in authorities that want us to mess up on our taxes. Let's just be real. Like, wherever that is, doesn't mean that we don't do that, but to the best of our ability, to the best of our conscience, we do that. The best business leaders in America should be Christians. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes the worst business leader in America are Christians. Because on one hand, we say Jesus is Lord, and on the other hand, we, we go and, and, and support slave labor. How does that reconcile? It doesn't. It absolutely doesn't. And so understand what I'm trying to tell you is this, and what Jesus is not saying, and I believe that, is this does not mean that you sit by on the sidelines and keep quiet. The Lord has given you a voice. He's given you a breath. Use it. You were created for a time like this. But once again, if the world knows who I voted for more in the next, if the world knows more about who I voted for in the last election than who I'm praying for today, our authority is in the wrong place. We have placed the authority of our heart on the wrong person. Because here's the truth. I don't expect the government to save me. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't expect the next election to save me. I don't. Jesus has already saved me. And what I get to give is much better than a handout, much better than a tax break, much better than a business license. I get to give what Jesus has given me, and that is to point others to him, the hope of the gospel, because he did for me what I couldn't do for myself. And so wherever you are right now, I hope you understand, I'm being very political to say, not really political, but I'm saying this, I'm, I'm sound like a politician. It sounds like I'm going on both sides because the truth is the Holy Spirit's gonna show you. There are times when we stand up against the government. Really quickly, when, when, it, when it comes to that, I'll be, you know, we kinda wanna look at where we are. I don't, I don't wanna get too crazy in the historical context because I don't know whether they even teach you this in history or not. But so many times the cringeworthy thing to me is when people say we're a democracy. We aren't. We are a constitutional republic. Two different things. That constitution is executed through a representative democracy. So long story short, democracy is mob rule. Democracy says one person, one vote, and, and through that, you have spirited debate, and it's mob rule. We don't have mob rule in the United States. We have a constitutional republic which says that we abide by the law. The law is carried out, okay? So understand that. Understand that. And why am I sharing this with you right now? Because in America, the freedoms that we have, blood was required to be shed so that we could have them. And that points to the gospel more than you even know. 
or I even know, because that is what Jesus has given us. He shed his blood so that we can have freedom, and so we must steward it well when it comes to this. So there are times that we step against what the government says. There are times that we do that, but I can't tell you when to do that. The Holy Spirit will. So why am I sharing all this? Remember, I said Jesus established three institutions. Family, or God established three institutions, excuse me. Family, government, and the church. And it's more divided than ever. And so as Christians, we're called to be united, as we talked about last week, when it comes to how we forgive others and how everyone is involved. So when it comes to authority, look to the word of God where we stand in opposition to the government is when it clearly violates the word of God. We just talked about Babylonian captivity, Daniel. Remember, Daniel is there. What happens to Daniel, and, and we only know his friends by their, their Babylonian names. Daniel's Babylonian name was Belteshazzar. Uh, and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember, they come in. They are part of the. They are part of the Babylonian captivity. They come in. They get Babylonian names. Have a Babylonian education. And the first thing they do is they give them a Babylonian buffet. And what does Daniel and his friends say? We ain't eating it. It violates the word of God. It goes against my diet. I'm only going to eat what God tells me to eat. I'm not going to do that. And who ends up better after the the trial that happens? Daniel and his friends. So much so they are stand out above everybody. And what happens is the is the king at the time says man these strapping young lads got it they got the babylonian education but they know what's going on something's great they become officials in government so we don't like to talk about that but they did but even in their official capacity in government what happens is uh, all of a sudden this is where we know shadrach meshach and abednego uh, the king goes and builds this statue and says hey you got to bow down to that or i'm gonna kill you i'm gonna throw you in a fiery furnace and they said no 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 see understand that that when it comes to the Ten Commandments, so we can't have any idol. We, we, don't, we don't follow carved images. We can't do that. It violates the word of God. So they stand up, and what happens? They go in that fiery furnace, and they put that thing up seven times. I mean, it's worse than a summer here in the south. Like seven times they burn it up. They burn up all the guards that are there, and what ends up happening, Jesus shows up, and not even a hair was singed or anything on their clothing. Didn't even smell like smoke. And I don't know about you, but if you go to a barbecue place, you smell like smoke. So how in the world did they get out of there? What does Daniel do? All of a sudden, he goes, he is second in high command, and the people are so mad, the satraps are like, this Daniel dude, I don't even, he ain't even Babylonian. His race is wrong. How in the world can he be a leader? We got to take him down. So they get the king, and they, remember, they, in, in the order of the Medes and the Persians, they say, if you pray to any other god than the god of Babylon or to the king, you're going to get thrown that lion's den. What did Daniel do? I'm going to open up my window, and three times a day, you're going to see the god I pray to. So much so, they put him in there with that little kitty cat. Little kitty, little kitty, little kitty. And all of a sudden, God shows up in the midst of it, and the people that tried to go after him got thrown in that lion's den. The most evil leaders, the most weak leaders God works through. So there are times that, yes, we stand up against the government. You say, well, Tyler, you're telling me about this in the Bible. Well, think about it. Here recently, Corey Ten Boom, you ever heard her story? You remember her? She's in Nazi Germany. She finds out that the Jews are being exterminated, and so she kind of like Anne Frank, if you know anything. What she does, her and her family, they hide and help 700 Jews escape Nazi Germany. But then she gets ratted out. She gets sent to Ravensbrück concentration camp. She writes about the struggle that happens. All the way through, let's look back at Nazi Germany. A great pastor I love to read is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. If you've ever read that, I'm not talking about Bonhoeffer music. Anyway, but Dietrich Bonhoeffer, wherever you are, if you've ever read him, he was a pastor during Nazi Germany. And he spoke out against Hitler. And he said, this is not of the Lord. We can't have the annihilation of God's people. So much so, how many have seen Valkyrie? Nobody? What a tough crowd. Valkyrie, Tom Cruise, right? Like he goes there. There's a plot. Okay, the bombing of Hitler at the Wolf's Lair, that was unsuccessful. You know who led that? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor, said, we got to kill this guy because he's got to be deposed. So much so, Bonhoeffer was caught when you see everything that happens. He was hung in April 1945, and Germany falls in May 1945. Do you think he got up to heaven and was like, one more month, Lord? Like you couldn't give me one more month? Or is he excited saying, Jesus, your power was revealed. I got to be a part of you moving like never before, even against the government. But they followed the Holy Spirit. I can't tell you when to rise up. Hey, Desmond Tutu rose up against the South African apartheid. If you ever, he was the first patriarch of Cape Town that was African-American. He spoke up 
against the government. So what, what am I trying to tell you? There are times that, yes, you will speak against the government. But in the end, I just want to make it as clear as possible wherever we are right now. I've had some awesome work. We had some lunch with an organization. I'm not going to say who it is because we still support them. I probably won't be invited for lunch anymore, and that's okay. I, I don't mind that. Because as I sat down with lunch and had lunch with them, this was back when I could eat, so you know it's been a hot minute. Uh, <laughs> with lunch with them, um, I said the most important thing you do is not the lobbying that you do and the legislator, not the morality that you legislate, but that your doors are open, meeting people right where they are. That's the most important thing you do. And if you know those people, that, that they, like to lo- they like to lobby. It's what they do. They like to legislate. They, you get excited about maybe a, a court decision or you get excited about a law that's passed and, and you think that you've accomplished something in government. But I want to tell you, when I stand before an almighty God, he's not going to care what I lobbied. He's not going to care what I legislate. He's just going to say, who is Jesus to you? And in the end, how do we live who Jesus is to us? By loving God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. Sometimes that requires lobbying. Sometimes that requires changing laws. But in the end, we cannot legislate morality because in our brokenness, we can't be made perfect except through Christ. We can't do it. And so wherever you are right now, I just want to say, wherever you are, I, I, I hope that we understand that. I hope you hear my heart today is that we surrender to the authority of Christ and through that, sometimes it means surrendering to the authority. In other words, uh, we don't go out of here and say, uh, oh gosh, uh, this conviction, you can, I know, I, whatever. Uh, here it is. We don't speed to church because we're late. I do it all the time. Like, we don't speed to church. We don't get mad because of lunch and we don't know what to do. And we, I, 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 why did the cop pull me over? What a jerk. He could have done it to somebody yesterday. We don't do that. We're not supposed to do that. Guilty. Two hands up. I got a, hey, I got nothing but a hallelujah for you, Jesus. I'm thankful that you were gracious to me. But like, really, we don't do that. We follow the law. We should be known by that because that's how we point to Jesus. We say, hey, I may look like I have it all together, but I'm a broken wreck. The only thing that holds me is Jesus Christ. And he holds it all together. And so wherever we are right now, I just want us to understand that. And this is where I'm going all the way in the end. And this is what I want us to get. You see, I said there are three institutions that the Lord instituted, that God instituted, and that's the family, the church, and government. See, we kind of can vote on our family after we get a certain age. We decide whether we want to see our family or not. I mean, let's just be honest. It, it is what it is. We, we have that opportunity. Sometimes they've passed away, and you can't see them anymore until you get to heaven or, or whatnot, right? Um, we can pick our church, as is evident. Some people have the church of Jesus Christ. Some serve at the altar of the church of the NFL uh, or at the altar of the church of the Golden Corral or the Krispy Kreme, whatever that is, you can choose your church. But see that thing called government? You can try to elect the leader you want, but you still, you still, when you lose, have to live with those consequences. So why does this matter? Like, why am I sharing all that? Well, how do we react when we lose? <laughs> we wonder why people don't come to church. What did you say at the last election? Because that anger they saw is what they're expecting when they walk in the doors. Because whether we believe it or not, we know that sin is wrong. We see it in our kids. As a child, you do know like, that when you messed up, you know you either try to hide where you messed up or you just you try to get something. Like, you know. And that's what they're expecting. And so as we follow Jesus, we'll say, hey, ain't none of us got it figured out. None of us have it all together. And so the reason I'm sharing this is so many times we talk about revival happening in the streets, revival happening in the, and, and, and everything that happens with revival because we think that if the revival comes, then, then all of a sudden it will work out. We just need revival among our leaders. And I just want to tell you, revival happens in the church. It doesn't happen in the government. Revival is when, when uh, Second Chronicles, uh, what is it, seven fourteen, that Jesus says, "If my people, if my people who are called by my name, will pray to me and humbly seek me and pray to me and confess their sins, I will hear them from heaven, forgive them of their sins, and heal their land." Revival happens here first, church, and then it goes to the streets, and that's called evangelism. 
See, we get so excited about evangelism, we forget that any move of God happens with revival with his people first. See, you can have revival without evangelism, but you can't have evangelism without revival. And so this is our time, church. This is where we are in the world we live in. Jesus is saying, seek me. Seek me, church. Seek me, church. If we seek him, man, oh, man, it don't matter if tribulation, trial, if the Antichrist comes showing his face tomorrow, I already know his end. I could care less because I know Jesus has it all worked out. And so for us, church, that's what I'm giving you today. Don't spend time on lesser lords. Doesn't mean you can't have a voice. Doesn't mean you can't have an opinion because trust me, I got an opinion. We got one. I don't always share it, but just because I'm quiet doesn't mean that I don't have an opinion. But in the end, if I spend more of my time on lesser lords than what Jesus has called me to do, I've wasted my life. I've absolutely wasted it. And that's the thing that I don't want for any of us. So as we go out this week, let's understand our heavenly passport that is stamped, signed, sealed, delivered by the cross of Jesus Christ that has our heavenly citizenship is the most important thing we have. Not the passport we carry or the license we carry everywhere else we go. I shared with us in our Vine Sowers update this week for real. Uh, see, when we, when we follow Christ, we're going to look weak to the world. It's going to look weak. But as Jim Cimbala shared in Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, God's attracted to weakness because it means we're humble. And as we humbly seek him, we'll get to point him to others like never before. And so when it comes to authority today, I just want to say this. The authority that we have in Jesus Christ, if you want to know the constitution of the kingdom of heaven, read Matthew 5 through 7. It is the Sermon on the Mount. What does it say? To be first, you must be last. To be greatest among you, you must first do what? It's an S word. You must serve. It means that, it, it means that for each and every one of us, if we, we shared it last week, we got a problem with our brother before we give a tithe or a gift. We got to be reconciled to them first before we give. We can't be squeezing out a gnat and swallowing a camel. We, we have to serve our others as we serve. We have, to, we have to go to the prisons. We have to go to the, plead the cause of the orphan and widow. Yes, we do all those things, but in the end, we have to understand the constitution by which we live under. It's Matthew 5 through 7. And it'll take our whole life to live it out. It absolutely will. And so as we go out and we carry that heavenly passport, Jesus said, Tyler, instead of you talking so much, it's real easy. Just tell them, love God, love others. Because my hard head, that's what I need. Love God, love others. That's what we're called to do. So when we surrender to authority, that's what we're showing them, even when we don't agree with it, even when we think it's wrong, even when we want to be like Mel Gibson screaming freedom and Braveheart. What did he do? He surrendered to the authorities. Why? Because Jesus did it for us. Do you think Jesus couldn't have took himself off that cross? <laughs> Do you think that he couldn't have just surrendered? He, didn't, he could have overthrown the Roman authorities. Absolutely. But it isn't what he came for. He came for more than politics. Once again, he came for dead religion. And he wanted us to be united with God again as a family that is his church living under God's government, his justice, his peace. And so wherever you are right now, uh, I just want to say, why, what, what happened? Why, why are we sharing all this? Well, yes, every week we believe in everyone to know the hope of the gospel of Jesus and have a moment to respond. Hopefully today, as challenging as this was, uh, I would trust the Holy Spirit to move you. If you were in Christ Jesus, you would be reminded maybe you do pay your taxes. Maybe you do do all these things, and it seems frustrating, and it seems like you can never get ahead. Trust that you're doing it under the Lord and not under man, as Colossians 3, 23 and 24 reminds us. For others of us who don't know Jesus, maybe today you're trying to save yourself. See, see what ends up happening, the hope of the gospel is literally this. See, way back in the garden, uh, when, when we were created, God had authority over us. And we thought we knew better than God. Now, we like to blame the little serpent, Satan, to do that. But honestly, what happened with Adam and Eve is they thought they could figure it out better than God. And so they took authority of their life. By eating that apple, apples get a bad name. It's not an apple. I don't think it is. We're going to find out what it is. I could talk to you off script what I say it is. But whatever it is, I don't know. We'll find out. But they thought that they could have authority over their life and be their own savior than God, their very creator, could. And that is called sin. And because of that sin in our life that goes against the word of God, goes against God, we live in a broken relationship with God. And in order to be with God, we have to be in a right relationship with God. 
And what that requires for each and every one of us is to have a perfect life. And none of us could do that. And God said, I don't want you to be broken. I don't want you to be in a broken relationship with me. I want to make a way for you to be united with me. And so he sends his son, Jesus Christ, to come live the perfect sinless life that you and I couldn't live. Perfect, making us right with God, at right standing with God. In other words, we get the invitation. We can open the door. We're ready to go. We can be in right relationship with God. But you see, because of that sin, what happens is sin can't be in the presence of God and it must be killed. So God's wrath must fall. And God said, well, I, I still have to make a way for them to be with me. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, well, instead of them dying, I'll die in their place. I'll go do that. I'll die in their place. And so now all of a sudden, Jesus not only lives a perfect sinless life we can live, he dies the death we deserve on the cross, and then he doesn't stay dead. He rises again on the third day. That's what we're praying. Why does this matter? He rises again on the third day so that we can be in direct relationship with God now. We don't have to wait until eternity. We don't have to wait to hear from God. We don't have to have his spirit uh, be with us for eternity uh, later after we die from this earth. Instead, we get to experience it now, being exactly who he created us to be, being right, who we are created to be. And so wherever you are right now, that is the hope of the gospel. God and his great mercy and love loving us enough to do for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. Because here's the thing about God's wrath. We don't like God's wrath. Because it means we've done something wrong. It means that there must be death for it. And here's the thing I want to tell you. The reason that God has wrath is because he has mercy. Only God can give mercy. See, he couldn't give mercy if he didn't have wrath. Mercy is undeserved penalty undeserved penalty. In other words, it's not clemency. It is literally paid in full. That is what Jesus is for us. He took the penalty for our sins. He lived the perfect sinless life we didn't deserve, took the penalty for our sins, and rose again on the third day so that we could be all your Regardless of what the government says we should be, regardless of what social media says we should be, regardless of what this person said about us, all this crazy. No, 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 no. He did it all for us. And we get to sit and surrender lordship of our life to him and trust him knowing that through Christ, it isn't death that we fear. There is no fear. It's faith that we get to have life because only in him do we have life. And so what I want you to understand, wherever you are, regardless of your political lean, regardless of what you got out of today, what we've been sharing each and every week uh, is found in Romans 5, verse 6 through 8. And it says this, you see, at just the right time, while we were still powerless, powerless, dead in our sin. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, Jesus is standing there with open arms. He's not trying to condemn you. He's not telling you. He's not going to ask you who you voted for in the last election. He's not going to ask you what, what you did today on the way in in the parking lot. He's not going to ask you about the sin you're going to commit to try to figure out where to go to lunch later. Instead, he is saying, I've done the work for you. Will you just receive me? See, God's wrath is going to fall on sin no matter what. Either you be your own savior and God's wrath falls on you and you die pointlessly or you understand and trust that God's full wrath fell on Jesus on the cross. So with every head bow, and you receive his sacrifice for you. So with every head bow and every eye closed, this is why we do what we do every week. So we're gonna pray this prayer. It's not the words of this prayer that saves you. It's the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. So with every head bow and every eye closed, please repeat these words out loud with me for the benefit of those coming to faith for the first time. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you came, lived the perfect sinless life I couldn't live, died the death I deserve, paying the penalty for my sins on the cross, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day so that I may have life. Come take over my life, Lord. Teach me to follow you step by step the rest of my life the best way I know how. With every head bow and every eye closed, whether you're in the house or you're watching online, and for the first time you have responded in faith, you have confessed and repented of your sins, you have surrendered lordship of your life, authority of your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to ask you to boldly raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. If it's the first time you've ever done that, if you're watching online, you can put a raised hand emoji there. If you're uh, listening throughout the week, you can shoot us a message on social media in our app. You can reach out to us at 864-580-6698. Uh, we just want to celebrate this decision with you. 
Uh, and everyone, feel free to look up. I know sometimes you, you're waiting in my authority to tell you to look up, but the Holy Spirit will let you know. If you're kind of like me, when I was growing up, I had that one eye open as we see newborns do that. I think it's really cool when they do that. You know, they got that one eye like, are y'all still looking or not? I don't know what's going on. Like, wherever you are right now, if you have made this decision for the Lord, we want to celebrate it with you. We don't want to sit there and uh, we, we, it's not us taking credit for it. We want you to know that heaven is celebrating you coming home today, but also heaven is celebrating you getting connected with a local church near you and we want to help you do that and for the rest of us as we go back into worship i pray today that we are encouraged i pray today that as you heard me say the holy spirit will will tell you what to do i pray today that you would trust the holy spirit in this moment to know not only where the line has been drawn but when you need to speak up but most importantly when you will let christ and what he has done speak for you would you please stand and sing
today. I hope that you're encouraged, uh, and so I'm announcing my candidacy for president. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, a vote from you means a vote for not you know who. I'm just kidding. That is what it is, and we'll all be who bills and whatever. Uh, today, if you got nothing else, hey, maybe Jesus has called you to be in government. We don't like politicians. What if the church were Christians and the government pointing to Jesus and everything that they did, and it wasn't a theocracy like the Pharisees? Holy cannoli, what good could God do? Maybe that's what Jesus has called you to do. Do that today. We want to pray with and for you when it comes to that. But most importantly, we want to make sure that Jesus is known to the ends of the earth and celebrate him. So we'd love to see your smiling face next week as we continue in a series. I don't think it'll be as big a gut punch, but if it is, the Holy Spirit gets all the credit because I ain't got nothing to do with it. We love you guys. Hope to see you next week. And always remember the best is still yet to come.